You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles to Scripture readings this morning. Two of them, Acts 5, verses 1 to 11, and John 15, 26 to chapter 16, verse 15. We'll first read Acts 5, 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now we turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 15. We'll read from verse 26 up to the 15th verse of chapter 16. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to Me by taking from what is Mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is Mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This morning I will be preaching to you truth of God's Word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 20 of the Hatterberg Catechism. Here we confess. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me, to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me, and to remain with me forever. Beloved congregation of Christ our Lord, lies, lies, lies. Everywhere around us are lies. Chances are people have told some lies about you and me. Maybe you and I have also told lies about other people. Lies are a fact of life in a sinful, broken world. And where there are sinful people, you'll usually find lies. And if there are not outright lies, then people twist the truth. They tell white lies or exaggerate. In popular culture... In government and in media, we see this in the phenomenon known as spin. Spin obscures the truth or manipulates it to be what we want it to be. It's gotten to a point where for many people, truth is no longer considered to be an objective reality. Truth is a subjective, personal matter. You have your truth and I have mine. The world tells us that there is no true truth. So whether it's outright or white lies, twisting the facts, exaggeration, spin, the bottom line is that there are many different ways of lying. And our culture doesn't have much of a problem with it and actually encourages it. But we should have a problem with it. Because after all, where do lies come from? Well, the Lord Jesus answered that in John 8.44 when he said that when the devil lies, when he speaks, he speaks his native language. For, said Christ, he is a liar and the father of lies. See that right from the very beginning of the Bible. Right in the beginning, the devil lied to Adam and Eve. You shall not surely die. And they believed him. They believed his lie. And they sought to become gods unto themselves. Shaking off the law of God like it was some dirty shirt. They believed themselves to be free. Free of what God wanted. Like the devil, they became liars. The lie was introduced into the world by Satan. And mankind, after the fall, eagerly took it over and embraced it. 
And of course, the opposite of a lie is the truth. Where does the truth come from? I think you know, because in Isaiah 65, 16, and in other places, we find that God is the God of truth. In John 14, 6, the Lord Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. God is where the truth comes from. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in John 15, 26, which we read a few moments ago, the Lord Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. This morning we want to look closer at Him, the Spirit of truth, and His work. In the Heidelberg Catechism, we confess that He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. So we'll use that as our theme, and we'll explore, first of all, how the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is one person of the triune God of truth. And then we'll also see how the Bible teaches us the comfort of knowing that the Holy Spirit is the God of truth. According to a a recent survey, 61% of American Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's presence or power, but not a living entity, not a person. 61%. Now those are American Christians, but we shouldn't begin to think that the number is probably any different for Canadians. And this is reflected in the way that many people speak about the Holy Spirit. Many people, when they speak about the Holy Spirit, they often refer to the Holy Spirit by saying it, rather than he. Now, in most cases, people don't mean to do this. I don't think so anyway. And they they, they probably don't think about it. But the result is that when you hear some Christians speak about the Holy Spirit you might get the impression that they are Jehovah's Witnesses rather than Orthodox, confessional Christians. Contrary to the Jehovah's Witnesses and the way many Christians speak, the Holy Spirit is not an it. Not an it, but a he. He is one person of the triune God, not an impersonal force like the wind or gravity or electricity. You know what? This is not a minor point. What is at stake here is the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Is He God or not? With all the historic creeds, the Catechism affirms that He is. He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Notice that the catechism uses that pronoun, he, not it. And so, in our speaking about the Holy Spirit, let's always be careful to follow the language of our confessions. And we do that because the language of the confessions is based on the language of Scripture. And we can see that the Holy Spirit is a divine person very clearly in Scripture, in such passages as we read from Acts chapter 5. There we read about Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, members of the early apostolic church. 
At the end of Acts 4, we read about how the believers in the early church would sell off some of their houses and possessions, and then they would give the money to the church so that the needy could be supported. And with that background in mind, we get introduced to this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They too, they were wealthy people. And they sold a piece of property. They did so with the intent that they too, like the others before them, would give the proceeds to the church so that the needy could be helped. However, they did this motivated by pride. They desired the praise of men. Furthermore, they thought that God would not notice that they had kept back some of the money for themselves. You know, they weren't obligated to give the whole amount. That's not the point. However, they made it look as if they were giving the whole amount. It's a classic example of keeping up appearances. A classic true story of pride, idolatry, and deception. Here we see the lie at work in the early church. Did God really say that you had to tell the whole story? Would God really see if we kept back some of it for ourselves? As they say, it was deja vu all over again. Notice the role of Satan here. The adversary. And remember, Satan means adversary, enemy. The adversary filled the heart of Ananias to lie. The father of lies was hard at work trying to destroy the church. If only he could get the people in the church to be driven by their desire to look good to one another. If only he could get their pride to lead them to to lie to one another, to deceive each other, and to lie. By doing that, to lie to the Holy Spirit. Really, when they lied, they lied not to men, but to the Holy Spirit who filled the church. They lied, Peter says, to the Spirit of truth. Now let's just stop there for a moment. You think about that. Can you really lie to an impersonal force? Can you lie to the wind or to, to gravity? Can you lie to electricity? Of course not. Lying involves communication. And communication always involves persons. And so we can conclude just from this that the Holy Spirit is a person, a he and not an it. And then in verse 4, if we didn't get the point, Peter adds, you have not lied to men, but to God. And we conclude from this that the Holy Spirit is indeed God. If we put those two things together, the Holy Spirit is God and He is a person. The Spirit of truth is true and eternal God. But of course... That's taught not only in Acts chapter 5, as I mentioned, it's, it's clearly taught elsewhere in the Bible as well. We could think of Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve an impersonal force? 
Can you make the wind sad? Can you make gravity sad? Of course not. But you can do those things to the Holy Spirit. And that's because He is a person. And then we think of those well-known words of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Words that we often hear as the benediction at the end of our worship service. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In that benediction, in that farewell blessing, the Holy Spirit is placed on the same level as God the Son and God the Father. With the other persons, he is given divine honor, respect. Same is true in Matthew 28, verse 19, where Christ commands his church to baptize in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From all this, it should be clear that the catechism is faithfully summarizing the Bible when it says that the Spirit is a person. He, and He, is true and eternal God. Now, where does this truth bring us? This isn't a a little tidbit of, of Bible trivia. This is a truth which truly changes lives. And we find out how by listening to the Lord Jesus in John 15 and John 16. Of all the Gospels, we read the most about the Holy Spirit in John. And in John, one of the Lord's favorite ways of referring to the Holy Spirit is by calling Him the Counselor. A few moments ago, we sang hymn 38. In verse 3 of that hymn, we sang, The Spirit, knowing all our needs, perfects our prayers and intercedes as paraclete before God's throne, our cause he makes his very own. Now, in the, in the third line of that verse, we find that strange word, paraclete. It's not a normal English word that we would use every day. Paraclete. Well, in fact, that's a word derived from Greek. From the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos. It's a word translated by the NIV as counselor in John 15 and 16 and elsewhere in John's gospel. A counselor is certainly a legitimate way to translate parakletos. We could equally translate it as helper or comforter. Counselor, helper, comforter. The Holy Spirit is all those things. Now in verse 26 of John 15, the Lord Jesus says that he will send this parakletos, this paraclete, counselor, comforter, from the Father. That's a reference to what it what happened later on at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. The Lord Jesus, He made that promise and He kept that promise. And the Holy Spirit, He did come. He came to live with, in, and among God's people. And He did that for a purpose. And the most important part of that purpose is there at the end of verse 26. He will testify about me. The Holy Spirit will counsel, comfort, and help God's people by pointing them to Christ, by pointing them to the the Savior, and by uniting them 
to Christ through faith. And isn't that also what we find in the second part of question and answer 53, Lord's Day 20? The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we share in Christ and all His benefits. That we would be comforted and helped. The next question we need to ask is, how this all happens? How does the Holy Spirit work among us to testify to us about the Lord Jesus? Well, in John sixteen thirteen, the Lord Jesus Himself answers that when He says, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. This refers to the special work of the Holy Spirit in establishing the early New Testament church. He gave the truth about Jesus Christ to the apostles. And moreover, He inspired the writers of the New Testament including the apostles, to give us the truth about Christ in God's Word. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 The Holy Spirit filled men to write God's own word. And since we know that God is the God of truth, and since we know that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, we can be comforted, helped, and encouraged, knowing that the Bible gives us the truth and not the lie. Here, brothers and sisters, here is true truth. Something that's objectively true for every one. And so we can know that all God's promises are firm and reliable. We can trust everything that God says in His Word. His Word is truly a, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. As we, we read in Psalm 111, all His precepts are trustworthy. can also be comforted, counseled, and encouraged when we, again, tie this into the the Spirit's testimony about Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave us the Scriptures. And the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, are about Christ. Moses was one of those prophets mentioned by Peter who was carried along, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In John 5.46, the Lord Jesus Himself said that Moses wrote about Him. A few verses earlier in John 5.39, the Lord Jesus said about the Old Testament, He said, You diligently studied the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. The Lord Jesus said that the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, speaks about Him. It becomes even more clear when you read Luke 24. 
There the Savior encountered two disciples on the road to Emmaus. As he talked with them, he began to explain to them the Old Testament. And then in verse 27 of Luke 24, we read, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the evidence in the New Testament says that the apostles in the early church read the Old Testament the same way. In Acts 10.43, which was our assurance of pardon this morning, we hear Peter saying that all the prophets, and he's talking about the Old Testament, all the prophets testify about Christ and the forgiveness of sins through him. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the apostles and other writers take the Old Testament and they show how it all points to Christ, how it all speaks about him in some way. And so, loved ones, when we read the scriptures for ourselves today, we do that personally, when we do that in in a group Bible study, no matter where we're doing it, we have to take the same approach. Scripture is about Christ. Christ said it. And his apostles, inspired by the spirit of truth, they said it as well. The Holy Spirit who inspired the entire Bible testifies about Jesus in the Bible. Now in some passages, it's easy to understand how it speaks of Christ. Take for instance, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. There are more than 20 quotations or allusions The Holy Spirit himself shows us how to read and how to to sing Psalm 110 with our eyes on Christ. The same is true for, for many other passages, and that's true especially for the Psalms. Now, with other Old Testament passages, it's true, we're we're challenged and we have to do some work and we have to we have to think about it. And we do that using the pattern that's been set for us by Christ Himself and by His Spirit speaking through the New Testament writers. There are some challenging passages. And take, for instance, Psalm 7. That's a, a difficult psalm that we sang some weeks ago as our pre-service song. Psalm 7. How can, how can we read and sing that psalm? Having our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's an important question. And I think we should all struggle with that. There's no doubt about it. That psalm, it challenges us. But rest assured, it does point us to Christ. Christ himself said that it did. Now next month, I hope to begin another series on the psalms. And I will preach on Psalm 7. And I will give an in-depth explanation at that time. In the meantime, when we read the Bible and when we sing the psalms that come from the Bible, we should always do that thinking about Christ, reflecting on Him, what He's done for us. Because the Spirit of truth who inspired those words, He testifies about Jesus. Jesus.
The Holy Spirit, loved ones, is God's gift to us. This person who is true and eternal God, he lives with us individually as believers and and, and corporately as a church. Through the, the faith he creates with the word he inspired, he unites us to Christ. He directs our faith to him, and he makes us share in all his benefits. With him, we are led to the objective truth of God, the true truth as it is in Christ. And so we are truly rich, and we can be truly comforted and thankful. Let us pray. O God, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, we praise you as true and eternal God. We thank you for your work in uniting us to Christ through faith and the word you inspired. We pray that you would keep on testifying to us about Jesus, our Savior. We ask that you would keep us as humble disciples in the school of Christ. We pray that you would so fill us that we would never lose sight of our need for a Savior, that we would never forget that apart from Him we are nothing and can do nothing. Open our hearts and open our understandings to know the Holy Scriptures and to so see Christ our Lord and Savior revealed there. Instill into all of our minds and hearts the saving knowledge of Jesus. Teach us about His perfect obedience for us so that by resting on his finished work, we can find the Father's love in the Son. And so through your work, be brought into fellowship with the triune God. O Spirit of wisdom and revelation, lead us into all the truth now and every day. We know that your office is to lead us ever closer to Christ in faith. Please do so. We pray for your glory and in Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.